0: The text for this morning's worship service is taken from James chapter 3 to verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. Let's read that together. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, And every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 90, the stances 6 and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, who is wise and understanding among you? James is asking that of the believers to whom he writes. He is, as it were, taking the pulse of his congregation. And since this letter was meant for the church of all ages, he is asking that question of our congregation as well. He is also asking you that same question. And so let me ask on his behalf, who is wise and understanding among us? Are you willing to stand up and allow yourself to be so noted Do you consider yourself to be wise and understanding? You may say, I'm not sure exactly what James means here. What kind of wisdom and understanding is he referring to? Who is a wise and understanding person? When we think of a wise person, we think of someone who is able to come with some profound words and wise sayings. We think of someone with a gray beard who, within the quietude of his own serene surroundings, a mountaintop perhaps, has been pondering what makes the world go around. He has been pondering the secrets of most of his life, the secret of life, most of his life, and is now able to pass that wisdom on that he has acquired over the ages to others. That's a wise person. Well, brothers and sisters, That's not what James is talking about here. That is certainly not what James has in mind. Biblical wisdom is something quite different. And this morning we will see what that is. I've summarized the text as follows. Prove yourself to be wise in your godly walk of life. And then we will look at three things. First of all, the source of wisdom. Secondly, the practice of wisdom. And then finally, the fruit of wisdom. So the theme for this morning's service is prove yourself to be wise in your godly walk of life. First the source, second the practice, and then finally the fruit of wisdom. In our text, in verse 13, James says that those who are wise in understanding, that they will show that in the way they live. And they will show that by their deeds. And so it is something completely different than Contemplative inactivity. Wisdom is not something that you receive from the oracle at Delphi, who in the country of Greece during biblical times sat on a mountaintop giving sage advice to all those who came to him from far and wide. The kind of wisdom James writes about is something quite different. James poses the question concerning those who would be wise in understanding. Among them, within the context of what he wrote earlier, namely that words and deeds must be in accordance with what you believe and what you confess. Wisdom is not just a matter of words, but it goes much deeper. And so he does not jump here to a topic unrelated to what preceded, as some say. Already in chapter 2, verse 12, James wrote, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. As you will remember from before, in the first part of chapter 3, James dealt with the spoken words, specifically with the tongue. He told them that they must carefully weigh the words that they speak. They must have a tight rein on their tongue. But now, In this last chapter in his last part of chapter three, James speaks about putting your words into action, about your walk of life. Your talk must be in accordance with your walk. James still has in mind those people who presumed themselves to be teachers, for it is clear that some of the people to whom he writes had the gift of the gap, and they were quite proud of themselves. They really thought that they had something to offer and that they were very wise and full of knowledge. Their words, however, were merely words. You see, it is easy enough to stand before a crowd and talk away, at least if you don't have a fear of public speaking. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have something meaningful to say. If your words do not come from the heart, if they do not come from personal experience, then they are meaningless. Then they are just words. There are preachers and teachers who have many good things to say. But they do not necessarily translate those words into their own everyday life. And the people notice there is something missing. There is no spark, no passion. It's words without conviction. The people perceive that their words do not come from the heart and from personal experience. They don't practice what they preach. It's all words. In that regard, you can compare such so-called teachers or preachers to a fan of a hockey team or some other sports team. They sit on the couch in front of the TV And as the game goes on, they give all kinds of advice as to how the game should be conducted. Their constant jabbering and second-guessing would make you think that they could do a much better job. They know better than the players and the coaches. They know exactly how the game should be played. What do you think? Such a person had better not hold his breath waiting for the talent scouts to come knocking on his door, recruiting him for the NHL. The very thought is ridiculous, for that person is all talk and no action. And we all have to guard against that. James says that your wisdom should not be all talk. Your wisdom should show in your actions, in the way that you live your life. It's easy enough to be an advice giver and a critic, but it is something totally different to get into the trenches yourself. Show me your wisdom by the way that you live, James says. In the beginning of his letter, in chapter 1, verse 5, James says that if any of them lacks wisdom, that then he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But now the question is, what exactly should he ask for? What exactly does wisdom look like? It is clear from this passage that Paul speaks about two kinds of wisdom. There is heavenly wisdom and there is earthly wisdom. Actually, the latter is not wisdom at all. That is why the NIV in verse 15 puts the word wisdom between quotation marks. According to Ephesians 2, the verses 1 through 13, the Christian has to contend against three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you find that back here in this text as well, where in verse 15, James says that wisdom that does not come from heaven, is in the first place earthly, in the second place spiritual, and in the third place from the devil. What is earthly or worldly wisdom? Well, wisdom has to do with how well you get along in life. To a worldly person, this life is all he's got. And so he makes the best of it. If you are a person wise in the ways of the world, then you know all the loopholes and how to exploit them. And you use them for your own selfish ends. You use them in order to advance your own cause. You use them in order to gain property and wealth and reputation. A person who is wise in the ways of the world learns their wisdom from other people in the world. He studies the worldly law books or hires somebody else to study them. And he learns how to slither through life. He thinks of ways to make other people responsible for his own sins and shortcomings and weaknesses. And brothers and sisters, that is the way it has been ever since the fall into sin. That's what Adam already did with Eve, and that's what Eve did with Adam. They blamed each other. There you find the beginning of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom has as aim to make yourself come out smelling like a rose. Its aim is to make your name great at the expense of others. Earthly wisdom is in the service of arrogant and proud people. Think of the time when the tower of babel was built. The people of that day wanted to make a great name for themselves. However, the tower the tower of babel ended in failure and confusion. Worldly wisdom has as its source the flesh. And that is the second enemy. When you let the flesh rule you, then you think about how everything is most suitable for you personally. We see examples of that throughout the Bible. Think about the disciples, for example, in Matthew 18, who wanted to keep the little children from the Lord Jesus. Why did they want to do that? Because they considered those children to be a nuisance. It didn't fit their plan, and they failed to consider God's plan. They were not wise in the heavenly sense, but in the earthly sense. And for that reason, the Lord Jesus rebukes them and told them to let the little children come to him. The Lord Jesus was wise, for he was concerned not about himself in the first place, but about others. Think about the many ways in which we want to put ourselves first rather than others. We get angry and annoyed, for example, when people do not serve us as quickly or as well as they should. And we are quick to demand our rights, not considering other people's rights. And in verse 15 it says that such wisdom is unspiritual. The Greek word that is used here refers to the flesh. The King James Version says that such wisdom is sensual. That may be a better translation. The same word in other translations is also translated as natural, referring to the old nature of man. The old nature of man is opposed to the new nature given by God. The old nature is the fallen nature of man. And that fallen nature comes from the devil. As I said, the devil is the third enemy of man. He is the third source of false wisdom. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, then he told them that they could be like God. He told them that they could be supreme rulers. All of creation would bow down to them. And it was that desire that drove Adam and Eve to sin against God. And it is that same desire that is still resident in man, in me, and in you. Natural man derives his wisdom from Satan. Natural man wants others to bow down to him or to her. He wants others to serve him, to admire him. He wants to get out of life whatever he can with as little effort as possible. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Satan is extremely clever. His wisdom is the way of least resistance. If you do not know the wisdom of God, then his wisdom will confuse you and confound you. And that is why you need heavenly wisdom. For true wisdom, wisdom that will give you the right handle on life, comes from above. As James says in verse 17, It is that wisdom that comes from heaven. The source of that wisdom is God. He says there, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And do you know who came from heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 30, He was also made Our wisdom in him, as we read in Colossians 2 verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, if you want to be wise, therefore, then you go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why Paul also says that he preaches nothing else except Christ and him crucified. He says, that is the only wisdom with which I come. The Lord Jesus Christ did not only speak words of wisdom, but he also lived those words. He lived the perfect life. There was no contradiction between the words that he spoke and the actions that he took. His words and actions were in complete harmony. And whatever he required from others, he also required from himself and then some. He was not some wise sage on a mountaintop. He was not removed from this world. Even though he is now in heaven, he is still not removed from this world. Far from it. While he lived on earth, he lived his life to the fullest and withstood all the temptations that every man and every woman has to undergo and much more. For he was tempted in an even greater way than we would ever be tempted. And now, in heaven, he remains intimately involved with our lives. He intercedes for us with the Father in heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit to equip us and to renew us. And he encourages us with the wonderful gospel of salvation. And so, do you know when you are wise... As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, you are wise when you have the mind of Christ. You are wise when you are able to look outside of yourself and look out for the well-being of others. You are wise when you want to serve. When you want to serve God and your neighbor. Just as Christ did. And that's the kind of Wisdom already spoken about in the Old Testament. And James is also well aware of that, for he is steeped in the Old Testament as he writes his letter. According to the Old Testament, wisdom has to do with the ability to promote the spiritual well-being of your neighbor. And that brings us to the second point, the practice of wisdom. James gives us in this text all kinds of adjectives to teach us about godly wisdom. In verse 16, he speaks about envy and selfish ambition. This ties in with chapter 3, verse 1. As we saw, some wanted to be teachers so that others would admire them. That also happens in the church. There are those men and women alike who are ambitious for the office of elder or deacon because they want to be recognized. Such women who are ambitious for the office have a hard time accepting the scriptural norm that the Lord God disqualifies, disqualifies them for the office of elder or deacon. And these women are not, are content not just to serve, but they want recognition for their service. They think that only if you have an official function in the church, that then you are making a valuable contribution. And some men think the same. They are ambitious for the office for different reasons. The Lord does allow men to serve in the office. But some men think that that is now automatically their right. And if they are not nominated or elected, they become angry and bitter. They ask, how come my talents aren't being recognized? How come other men who are obviously less qualified than I do get chosen for the office? There is something wrong in the church. They are discriminating against me. However, such men ask the wrong question. The question should always be, how can I serve the Lord? And how can I serve others? At one point the disciples also disputed among themselves who among them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But the Lord rebuked them by producing a little child and saying that anyone who puts his trust in the Lord like a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, whenever you want to do anything in the kingdom of heaven, ask yourself whether or not your zeal for the Lord is spiritual or unspiritual, carnal. Why do you want to be an office bearer? Why do you want to be a member of the committee of administration? Why do you want to be an usher? Why do you want to contribute financially to the church? Why do you want to do anything in the church? Is it so that you can receive the recognition of men? Or because you want to please the Lord? If you do anything out of selfish ambition, then you are not a wise person, but a foolish one. The phrase selfish ambition is translated in the King James Version as "strive." The word could also be translated as party spirit. As a matter of fact, that would be the best translation. James is describing those kinds of people who solicit the support of others for their own selfish ambition. Because of their hurt feelings, they want to drive a wedge in the congregation and they seek the support of others. In other words, they play politics. That's what a politician does. A politician follows the wisdom of the world which says, promote yourself. You are much better than the other candidates. A politician wants the approval of the majority. Never mind about the rest. Don't care about them. And he will often do that at the cost of their own integrity. He will try to get votes by hook or by crook. For they boast of their accomplishments, minimizing or not mentioning at all their own weaknesses and mistakes. Well, brothers and sisters, all boasters are liars. Boasters exaggerate the truth. They try to make others look bad and themselves look good. And that is why James says in verse 14 that such people deny the truth. They are not trustworthy, and they are certainly not humble. The translation in verse 13 of the NIV is excellent in the way that it speaks about humility. It says that humility comes from wisdom. Most other translations speak about the meekness of wisdom. But that's not very clear. But the grammar in the Greek shows that James has in mind that humility belongs to heavenly wisdom. They go together. You cannot separate the two. A truly wise man is always a humble man. You cannot be wise without humility. It's impossible. A truly wise man does not boast about his own abilities. He doesn't boast about them in his own heart either. For some will not maybe speak about it, but in their own heart they think they are better than others. Well, that's foolish. That's what a fool thinks. A humble man knows his limitations and is willing to own up to them. And he is surprised that the Lord God also wants to use him As an instrument in God's hand. James also says in verse 17 that wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Purity has to do with holiness. A wise person has sanctified lips and sanctified hands and feet. In other words, his speech and his conduct is holy. Of course, as you know, holiness does not come from ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us holy. And that is why we need to go to Him time and again to have the Holy Spirit purify us. And you must also allow the Holy Spirit, therefore, to burn away your impurities. And so to grow in the Lord. And He can only burn away your impurities if you are humble, if you are aware of your own sins and your own shortcomings. If you want to be ambitious about anything, be ambitious about that. And a wise person is also peace-loving. A lover of peace is a hater of sin. Peace can only come about if sin is dealt with. First of all, your own sin. And then the sin of others. If you want to have peace in your life, then you have to go to the source of peace, that is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He dealt with sin once and for all. He hates sin. And for that reason, we must do the same. You must also hate the sin within you and the sin all around you. And when you have that kind of vision, then you're also considerate. Other translations use the word gentle. That is probably a better translation. A gentle person is a moderate person who at the same time is unwilling to compromise with evil. Someone once described Abraham Lincoln as a man of velvet steel. That's a good description of gentleness. And a wise man is also submissive. The King James Version uses the awkward phrase, easy to be entreated. The English Standard Version uses the phrase, open to reason. That's better. In other words, such a submissive person thinks before he judges. He doesn't quickly come to a conclusion. He considers all sides of a question before he makes up his mind. And James says that such a person is full of mercy and of good fruit. It's easy to stand in judgment of others and apply strict standards to them. Talk, talk, talk. That's easy. But it is not so easy to do that to yourself. A wise person realizes that he is in need of mercy as much as the next person, so he does not judge as quickly either. Wise parents, for example, are not harsh with their children. They remember their own youth, but at the same time they do not compromise with evil, but gently direct their children in the right direction. And then they are a blessing to their children, and then their children will also be a blessing to them. We come to the third point, the fruit of wisdom. As you may remember from another sermon on this chapter, in verse, just prior to our text in verse 12, James wrote in connection with those whose hearts were full of evil and who had poisoned tongues, My brothers, can a thick tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Someone whose heart is poisoned by bitterness and anger has rejected the wisdom of God. Their words and their deeds come from a poisoned well and kill everything with whom and with which they come into contact. Such people kill relationships. The result is that with them you find disorder, As it says in verse 16. But, says James in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Those who are wise in the ways of the world want to accomplish things in their own way. They want to make things happen themselves. And they do that in accordance with their own sinful way of thinking. And they are not willing to wait for the Lord. But those who allow God to do the work will receive the fruit from God's word and from his Holy Spirit. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, teenagers, you have to wait for it. Things do not always happen at the moment that you want them to happen. And therefore you have to follow God's word, be patient. Sometimes we think, for example, that we can make peace with others. By telling a lie. How often haven't we done that? Thinking that we can diffuse the situation. But when the lie is exposed later, then you have much greater turmoil. You may have bought peace for the moment, but you sowed discord. A believer knows the truth and lives the truth. He wants to be obedient to God's law. He is straightforward and honest. He doesn't play favoritism. He has a good sense of justice. He is not out to make a name for him or herself. And he is waiting for God to bless him or her. Brothers and sisters, you reap what you sow. If you sow discord and misery and dishonesty, you will lead a miserable life. And you will pass on those qualities to your children. And if we go with worldly wisdom, then we will also sin. And we will reap disorder and every evil practice. Troublemakers, dishonest people, people who are wise in the ways of the world, do not have peace in their lives. Judas was a greedy man. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus He thought he was wise, but he wasn't. He was a fool, and he hung himself in the end. Brothers and sisters, the Lord God loves peace. He loves righteousness. Let me ask you again, who is wise among us? Hopefully all of us. For wisdom is a gift through Jesus Christ. As long as you are a member of Jesus Christ, then you are wise. And so trust in Him. If you do that, even though you do foolish things as we do all the time, every day, then nevertheless, the Lord God will bless you and He will make you a blessing. You will reap the fruit of righteousness. You will have peace in this life and in the life to come. Amen.